Welcome to EmigCast. I'm Andy Lichtenheld, and I'll be your host for this episode. Not just any episode, by the way. This is episode number 15. Episode number 15 means we've been email casting for over a year now, and it's the perfect time to do a show that I have been excited about since before we even started the podcast. As you know, here on EmigCast, we're a student-run emergency medicine podcast. We try to bring you the kind of information that we want to know as medical students who are excited about emergency medicine. We cover clinical topics, things like altered mental status and cardiac arrest. We also cover logistical topics like how to succeed on a rotation, how to be a successful medical student. And then lastly, we also try to talk about the spirit of emergency medicine. We try to share the ideas, the perspectives, and the voices that inspire us, that make us want to be the best emergency medicine physicians that we can be. And to that end, I can't think of a better person to talk to than Dr. Ramin Yazhari. Dr. Yazhari is an emergency medicine physician in Portland, Oregon. I first met him while I was working as a scribe. As I think a lot of you know, scribes are students, often pre-medical students, who work with physicians and help them with their documentation. And scribing is a great way to meet a lot of different physicians, see a lot of different ways to practice medicine. And in my experience, I don't know that I ever worked with or met someone quite like Dr. Yazhari. And like I think most people who have the fortune to work with him, I was inspired by the way he practices emergency medicine, by his spirit of emergency medicine. Let's meet him and you'll see what I mean. So Dr. Yazhari, I first just want to thank you for joining us and talking with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, what I wanted to talk with you about today uh, is kind of, I sort of loosely think of it as sort of humanism and ethics and the spirit of emergency medicine. And that's something that I count myself as very fortunate to have sort of heard your thoughts on that topic really early in my medical education before I even came to medical school. Um, And something I know that you share with a lot of learners. And in my experience, it's also been something that isn't really talked about that much. And I was curious what got you, how did you get started in wanting to talk about that and, and share those ideas with learners? Yeah, I, um, I think I have always been interested just innately in philosophy, ethics, spirituality, deep topics, um, talking about those things. And I came into um, medical school, I think like a lot of, um, like a lot of medical students um, with a lot of idealism um, about what it was to be a doctor and um, what I and I had maybe my own vision in my mind of what what it would be like to practice and so forth and I think that um, so what ended up happening is you know I think those ideals end up then meeting the you know some of the current culture of medicine at least in you know, Western allopathic medicine. And, um, and there were things that I, that were jarring or troubling to me about, um, I mean, I remember my first rotation in medical school, just the culture of that particular department, just a lot of, I don't know, just gossipy stuff about other colleagues or, um, 
uh, or negative comments about patients who were, you know, who maybe were acting inappropriately or were, you know, stupid in the eyes of that physician or whatever. And it just felt, some of did not feel right to me, some of that cultural stuff. And so I think that, that started this kind of internal process of, of pondering these things of, um, you know, what does it mean to take care of patients and, and what is the real, you know, what kind of spirit should you be bringing to caring for your, caring for patients. Um, so that continued through medical school and residency. And I think what was, what's interesting, what was interesting about my personal experience is even coming in as, I think, a particularly idealistic, I think, you know, um, but I, I mean, it was something I thought about and cared about being a, you know, being a physician who brought the right spirit to my practice. What I noticed over time is that I absorbed some of the very attitudes and behaviors and um, that was just part of the general culture of of the practice of medicine in a hospital setting or in the ER or, you know, um, or just in medicine in general, um, uh, in my experience. Um, and, um, and so, um, and so I, there would be occasions where I would catch myself saying something or doing something or thinking something and thinking, where did that come from? Why am I, you know, why am I like that? You know, or why did I do that's not really what I, you know, who I am or what I want to be. And so I think my goal, the goal that kind of that developed um, over time was, you know, I, my hope is that an individual coming into, um, into medical practice, um, you know, with a high standards or high ideals for the way they want to, you know, for the spirit they want to bring to their practice. Um, you know, my hope is that you can continue to focus on those and think about, basically try to um, keep hold of those during your entire medical training. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's easy to do. I think that there is a, um, there is, uh, because there's not much focus on it in medical training. Um, there's, uh, and so I, what I was, what I hope for, for medical students I interact with is that, um, they don't just unthinkingly absorb the culture of the hospital or their medical practice, but that they become active kind of agents of their own decision. I mean, because how else will, you know, does culture evolve, um, um, except through some active effort and thinking and reflecting on it. But if you don't even know that that's even something to think about, then you may not put much effort or thought into it. I think when I've heard you talk about this before, there was a particular story. I, re- I remember you interacting with a new learner, a scribe, I think, mm-hmm. who had been had had kind of one of these sort of shocking uh, cultural mismatch yeah. experiences. And I think for me... That I think, and for a lot of learners, that would resonate because I think probably people have can relate to that experience. Would you mind telling that story? Sure. Yeah. So I mean, there was um, um, so there was a scribe who was uh, taught who came in um, same thing, excited, uh, excited about interacting with patients, um, and uh, followed you know followed on her first shift uh, one of the doctors into one of the rooms, and it was a patient who had um, a, uh, um, I think it was like an abscess in, um, you know, like a sensitive area, you know, and it was quite a, and I think she came in and they, the doctor was really nice to this patient and they examined, you know, you undress this patient and examine them and, and uh, talk about what you're going to do. And she just kind of felt more and more kind of a, sort of a sense of pride and wow, what a privilege to be able to 
do this and, you know, being so nice to this person in this really vulnerable, sensitive spot. And so that was her feeling in the room. And then when they came out of the room, after they were out of kind of earshot of the patient, the doctor and, you know, the nurse or, you know, who tech or whoever it was that uh, he was with, then they started talking about, oh my God, that was so gross. And this was, you know, that smelled so bad and this and that. And it was like this complete disconnect from what the interaction had been with the patient. And so she was just, she was shocked by this. I think she was very disillusioned by this because she had, I think, felt like they'd had this really meaningful interaction. And then it was really undermined by the way that they talked about this patient outside of the outside of the um, patient's presence. And, um, and so, um, yeah, and so it was, it was interacting with her was one of those experiences where I thought, you know, we need to talk about this, you know, we need to talk about, um, because the scribes are going to get to see, because they shadow different, uh, a bunch of different physicians, um, they're going to get to see lots of models of behavior, um, good and bad. And we should, you know, talk about which ones we think are good. And we should talk about, well, why, you know, how do we live up to the, you know, the, the kind of models that we, you know, how are we, what are we going to try to strive to do together? And so we kind of would come up with little projects and, you know, goals for, for ourselves related to that. And so directly from that experience, you know, one of the goals we set for ourselves was never say anything negative about a patient outside of their presence, right? So, and we, you know, meet roughly every three months and with different groups. And I would just say, how's that going? What was, you know, how, how did that, uh, um, you know, how was that easy to do? Was it, you know, not easy to do? Was it even something worthwhile to do? Um, and uh, and so we started having conversations about things like that. I, when I very first got to school, literally in one of our very first intro groups, we were we were talking about kind of um, interacting with patients who are difficult to to interact with, who are triggering, or for whatever reason. And and I mentioned that as a goal. As a, I think I just said, oh, I, a physician that I find I've worked with and found really inspiring has this kind of um, ideal to never talk negatively about a patient outside their presence. And the physician who was leading the group was was incredulous and was like, well, I, you know, I don't really think that's realistic. Like mm-hmm. that's not a, you know, that's all well and good, but that's not a really realistic goal. I think we should be more practical. I'm yeah. curious what, what you think. I, and I imagine yeah. that a lot of people sort of have that response. Yeah, I think think about that. um, I think that I can understand where it comes from, um, and please do include this in the podcast (laughs) because this is one of the practical, important things I think um, of practice of medicine. Um, You know, I think I understand where it comes from because um, because patients can be so very difficult sometimes, and and human beings can be difficult. So the question is not whether or not you'll have difficult interactions; you will. And also whether you'll need some kind of a catharsis, you know, perhaps, you, you know, you'll, you'll need that. The question is in what form it should take. And I don't think it's unrealistic at all. And, and the reason I know it's not unrealistic is because now I've been trying to practice that for years, you know, and the scribes have, you know, too. And what you notice is that as you stop participating in that stuff, people start to stop doing it around you, you know. And it, it starts to have other effects, you know, as well. I mean, so you start saying, you know, well, I'm showing respect to the patient, whether they know it or not, um, outside of their presence, you know, they, you know, I'm still showing them respect, uh, the way I would want to be shown respect if I were a patient. And then you start interestingly having more self-respect, because you say, well, this is exactly the kind of physician I want to be, you know, and it's a gift to yourself, because instead of 
being super affected in a negative way by people's, by human beings' foibles, which are endless and infinite, just like my own personal foibles are endless and infinite, you know, the, just as, um, I'm not affected by them. My practice is not affected by them. In fact, I use them as an opportunity for growth and for strength, um, you know, to try to become a better, you know, physician. Um, I use them as an opportunity to try to show the best of myself in response to a difficult situation. So it just reframes the whole thing and it makes these difficult interactions meaningful and purposeful as opposed to a source of cynicism and jadedness. So it's not, it's not naivete like, oh, it's, um, you know, human beings are perfect and beautiful and everybody is wonderful. And it's, it's that, okay, we recognize there's going to be these difficult situations and difficult patients. And why, what motivation do I have to live up to, uh, um, to live up to a standard that rises above that? Do I have a motivation? And if so, what, why should I put energy into that? And I think what comes, what has come out of all of this thought and, and dialogue, um, is that it is deeply meaningful to, to try to rise above that, to try to um, be something different than just reacting to, you know, to negative situations or, or difficult patients. And the other thing is I think it, it's a, a measure of humility, too. I mean, it, it says, I don't really know this person. You know, I'm interacting with them briefly, especially in the emergency department. You know, I don't know what their background is. I don't know how they react, you know, when they're in pain or unhappy or, you know, whatever. We're meeting people in crisis moments, in difficult moments often. So what do I really know about the totality of this person? And so it's another way of showing respect to them by not just having this snap judgment. And uh, um, so, yeah, it's, it also just frees you, you know, I mean, it makes you more, it makes you more detached and free at work and you're more, more free to actually just focus on what's wonderful about taking care of you know human beings so what i would say is that some of the most important things are difficult to do and a lot of times if, there, if something's a cultural norm what goes against that is seen as as um impractical you know i don't want to overstate like and sound judgmental about you know attendings or like the attending you're referencing you know who, who thought it was impractical there's no doubt it's difficult and i understand cynicism and i understand you know some jadedness about stuff um the, you know and and the things that people say about you know difficult patients or difficult colleagues it's most of the time they're true i mean most it's not like they're saying things that are that have no basis in reality the question is why should you react why should you try to rise above that even if that is is true is there a purpose to that and so um and so i think one of the goals of medical training i've come to feel is to go from that idealism of weakness to an idealism rooted in strength and that comes only through experience but you have to like reflect on these things and work on them at each stage and and because there are difficulties implementing them at each stage what i've seen is i've seen how things can diverge i have colleagues who i really respect and like and um but who have gone in a different direction, more jaded and cynical in response to some of the difficulties of the practice of medicine. And I think there's a lot of unhappiness that comes with that. And for me, it's not that I'm freed from the tiring elements of this job or, um, you know, you get a little older and, and emergency medicine is a little bit harder to work some of the hard, you know, busy shifts or weird hours. Um, but I don't feel that what I'm doing is not meaningful. I don't feel that what I'm doing is, is I feel very privileged to do what I'm doing and I just want to do it well. Um, and I want to try to bring the best spirit that I can. And so the difficult interactions become a source of 
serenity and meaning and joy and purpose, even if they're take energy in their heart. So I think it's a gift to yourself to have thought about these things. And if you end up finding meaning in the more challenging aspects of the practice of medicine, I think it would lead to a longer career, a happier career, a more meaningful life. I mean, if you've dedicated yourself to medicine, you're dedicating many, many of your living hours to this career. Uh, you know, don't you want it to be meaningful? <laughs> I mean, there of all the of all the professions and uh, careers, I mean, this shouldn't be one that's hard to find meaning in. I mean, so many careers are hard to find meaning in, you know, but this one is not. I mean, this is this is a. Um, you know, we're healing other human beings. We're taking care of them in the most privileged way. And uh, uh, if anyone can find meaning in their job, you know, it's uh, it should be us. I want to go back for a minute to talking about dealing with the difficult patient and coming away with a feeling of, you know, not just um, not just having a negative reaction, but even getting meaning out of that. And mm-hmm. there's a metaphor that you use that I love. That's the isometric exercise with the physician's soul. Mm. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, again, you end up, many patients are wonderful. Many patients are appreciative and kind and courteous and uh, follow your instructions. And, and, and it's easy to take care of those patients, right? Because you get a lot of immediate positive reinforcement from those patient interactions. Um, it is more challenging to take care of patients who are difficult and and maybe, you know, that exhibit the opposite qualities, you know, of, you know, of the, of the nicer patients or easier patients to take care of. And so there is, a, yeah, so this analogy of, uh, in exercise physiology, you know, of the isometric exercise, I think is a helpful one in thinking about it because, um, you know, an isometric exercise is, iso means same and metric distance. And so an isometric exercise is like where you push against a wall and, um, the length of your arms doesn't change and the wall never moves, but the longer and harder you push, you know, the stronger your, your muscles become. And, and I began to think about these, these difficult interactions as being, yeah, isometric exercises, um, yeah, you know, for the, yeah, like you said, for the physician's soul. Sounds like chicken soup for the soul. <laughs> um, but, you know, but really for your sense of, you know, for, you know, your practice as a physician, it's like an internal uh, isometric exercise. And, you know, the with physical isometric exercises, there are muscle fibers that are recruited um, that in these static exercises that are not recruited in dynamic exercises. In other words, you're developing capacities and balance and other things that you would not um, you would not develop uh, otherwise in with dynamic exercises where you actually see some outward results. And so a difficult situation that seems intractable, the more professional I am, the better spirit I bring to that, the more effort that I put into those interactions, I think the stronger I become as a physician or the I'm developing capacities that I might not otherwise develop. Um, and so then it takes it from beyond like, oh, I have to tolerate these difficult things to get to the patients I really, you know, enjoy taking care of, to, again, rising above that and thinking of this as something deeply meaningful. Um, you know, if gymnasts use isometric exercises to be able to perform maneuvers in their routines, you know, that they um, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to, in the same way, if I didn't have the opportunity to react in a professional kind, not not let them walk all over you, but but live up to your kind of high ideals of how you want to interact with these patients. If I do that with the difficult patients, you know, I'm developing capacities I might not be able to develop 
you know, if only I'm given positive feedback all the time, if only I'm, it's made easy for me, you know. Um, and so I can't become the physician I could potentially become um, without these difficult interactions. So more than I tolerate them, this, this con, you know, conceptualizing it in this way, now you can, you know, I think of it as I need these patients, right? I can't become the physician I could potentially come unless I have these patients in my practice. And um, so that just turns the whole thing on its head, right? Instead of, instead of being cynical and jaded or, if, you know, the nurse says, oh, I got a real jerk in room, you know, 16, um, you know, but whereas, you know, you, some would be like roll their eyes, you know, or I might have in the past even too. Now I'm like, great. <laughs> okay, here's my isometric exercise for the day. And you take pride in it. You take pride in living up to standards, especially when it's difficult. Because I mean, that's the, I mean, that isn't that really the proof of, of high ideals? It's like if you're living up to them when, you know, when it's hard. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. I'm going to butt in here just to give a little bit of context for this last section. Dr. Yazhari and I are going to talk about the Declaration of Geneva. You're probably familiar with it. You might have even recited it when you first started medical school. It's like an updated Hippocratic Oath, and it's an 11-point document that outlines the spirit of the medical profession. Specifically here, we're going to reference the very first part of the Declaration, and it starts out, At the time of being admitted as a member of the medical profession, I solemnly pledge to consecrate my life to the service of humanity. It goes on from there with 10 more points, and the references are in the show notes. We'll have the whole declaration there for you to go over. So that's the document that Dr. Yazhari is going to refer to in this next section. The, the whole idea of, of bringing this to one of our discussions was that you read this as a, uh, at your white coat ceremony at the beginning of medical school, and, and again, you read this and you're like, wow, this is really amazing. This is a great statement. And then, like, you never hear it again. Or that was my experience. Like, and then, like, where'd it go? Right? This amazing statement about our ideals as physicians. <laughs> just in retrospect, it's just funny. Like, well, you know, why isn't this integrated constantly? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. So just take that first line. I mean, what if you just had that in front of you before every shift? I solemnly consecrate myself to the service of humanity, right? I mean, how is that what we're thinking about when we go in to take care of, you know, our patients? Um, why shouldn't we think about that every day? I mean, I think about that. I try to think about that on the way to work every single time. I have about a 15, 20 minute drive, although Portland's gotten a little more trafficy, so maybe half an hour, but just maybe that's good. I get more time to reflect on <laughs> the ideals. Thank you, increasing population of Portland, for contributing to my practice. Um, but uh, yeah, I. Um, but that. But I make a conscious effort, you know, um, to to actually think about that on the way to work and and on the way back from work, you know. Um, so I use that commute as a way to to do that um, to prepare myself. Are there any any other thoughts or advice that you'd want to share with um, beginning learners that we haven't talked about already? I would just say, you know, there you don't have to unthinkingly absorb uh, the culture and standards and attitudes and habits of the people around you in medicine. That would probably be the main thing that I would say. That if you you can take these high ideals that you've probably come into medical school with. Um, and that are given to you in things like this Geneva Oath. And you can um, think about them regularly, and this will help you not just follow the patterns of, 
of the hospital culture around you. Um, you can take the elements of the whole hospital culture that you like and integrate those, or physicians that you respect and integrate their practices and habits and attitudes. And you can also discerningly call away those attitudes and habits and cultural elements that you think are that are not you know, in line with what you want your ideals to be in your practice of medicine. So just to be thoughtful about it, just to be an active agent of your own practice, of your own career, of the spirit you bring to your own career, and not just take on whatever is the default around you. Um, that would probably be my biggest, yeah, biggest advice. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. It's been fantastic. Thank you, kind sir. <laughs> And that's going to do it for episode number 15 of EMIGCAST. We hope that you enjoyed the show, that it filled you with the spirit of emergency medicine, and that you'll join us again next month. We've got some exciting changes coming up on the show, as happens every year at medical school. One class of students leaves, and another one comes in to take their place. And so, too, here on EMIGCAST, we will be having some new voices and perspectives joining the show over the next few months, as some of the founding members, including myself, prepare to move on to their next stage in training. I think the new voices are going to keep the show exciting and fresh and relevant and true to the spirit of what we want to accomplish here at EMIGCAST. We hope that you'll join us again next month. Music